down with the ITC. Yeah, you know me. It's in this corner with Brian Campbell returning with the pro wrestling edition as we tape our wrists and hide that blade for another crimson dose of the performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is in fact the voice that you hear ready to deliver another action-packed show that is soaked in underjuice. And let me be frank, I got that hot sauce. Hey, oh, the most passionate man in North America, Nick Costos, remains idle as he wraps up the football season, but he sends his best wishes to you, dear listener, and reminds all of you female listeners out there, you know you know what I'm talking about, to find that man. You can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter and slide into those DMs, ladies. Oh, man. Uh, the Costos, but with me as always is the good and gracious king, a silver king to be exact. No, no, he's not just Russian. He's also in a hurry. Adam Silverstein. You know, you ladies can also slide into my DMs as well. Hey, now. All right, Silver King, we done brought it again with the kind of episode you simply won't want to miss. And I'm sensing a theme here. The week's. You know, WWE takes off creatively, and this week was certainly that case of a more or less press-pause mail-in job. Somehow it gives us the most to talk about as we not only look back at the week that was in pro wrestling, we preview Monday's Raw 25 episode and sit down with the one and only showstopper, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, who looks back on losing his smile, laying in the chin music extra hard to Marty Gennetti at the barbershop, and he tells us, what he t- or the reasons why he told Ric Flair to shut up and listen before their classic WrestleMania 24 retirement match. Mark Milk is going to be sk- spilled. Fuel houses are going to be invaded. I mean, come on. It's two BMFs like TBC and HBK on the ITC. Silver King, a lot of letters in there, but come on, man. Yeah, no, excited. Got a chance to listen to the interview, obviously, ahead of the show. Really one you guys don't want to miss. I don't say that all the time. BC's interviews are always very, very good. This one with HBK, one of, I think, top three that we've done so far here on ITC, and did I hear you drop a wrestling with a W a few minutes ago? Oh, you better believe that. That's what I'm talking about. That's that's it's still real. I mean, come on, you know it's that's what it's still real to me. Damn it! <laughs> I like when you delay a little bit while you look for the button because I can see it, but like people, you know, people don't get to they hear it, but they don't get to see you like searching frantically on the soundboard. Look, that we, perfect drop. We don't make mistakes in this in this in this show on this board. His name is Jeff Harvey. We don't do stuff like that, Silver King. Come on. But, Silver King, let me ask you this. We're on the very precipice of WrestleMania season, the very tip, if I might add, just for a second, just to see how it feels. Are you fired up about this? Uh, you know, I don't want to be a downer. I'm, I'm excited about WrestleMania season because it's always so great, and we know the Royal Rumble will be good. It's very rare that you have a bad Royal Rumble pay-per-view. But I got to be honest, you know, last year we probably had an inkling of three or four matches and storylines that we were really excited about heading into WrestleMania 33. And right now there's none. I mean, we know Lesnar reigns, but I'm not that excited about it because I've been waiting 10 months for it already. <laughs> so what, what are they really going to do to get us juiced? And BC, I think we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks, obviously starting at the Royal Rumble. And I think that should lead us, BC, into the main event. This is the main event. So let's kick off with the biggest news of the week, which... Really, it wasn't a newsworthy week, but Seth Rollins on Monday night to close Raw brought back the curb stomp in the main event. BC, did this plant some subtle seeds on where this entire storyline with Rollins, Jason Jordan, Roman Reigns, etc. 
is going to be going on Monday nights. Yeah, I think it did. That That's what was swirling through my head. Like, I popped like everybody else. The curb stomp is back. What do they call it? The, what do they call it? The blackout? Was that what they sort of... Or, the stomp or the blackout. I think I heard both. I mean, look, it's shocking to see this because we it was a banned move. We sort of saw it as a insensitive move. Was it insensitive to bring it back on Martin Luther King Day? Probably, right? At least it, you know, at least they didn't. Not, not probably. Yeah, yeah. How about more than probably? So there's that. But look, I pop big to see this back. So the the main reason why I pop big, and let's be really honest about Seth Rollins here, who's obviously an incredible, you know, top four WWE performer. Uh, you can argue yep. in different directions. Certainly in-ring ability, top two or three. Not great as a babyface. Not great, right? Really good at times. Good, really good, not great. This reminded me of heel Seth Rollins, the great 2015, which really, this decade, one of the better calendar years for anyone. And Curb Stomp was a big part of heel Seth Rollins that year. So we, you asked me if it felt like it planted seeds. To me, to me, Adam, it felt like it planted seeds that Rollins is going heel right along with Jason Jordan. And it really activated my feel spot. I don't know exactly how we're going to get there, but we felt all along that Jason Jordan's going that way. And he angered Rollins early in this Raw episode. But to see the two of them celebrate after winning that main event tag team match when it was Jason Jordan. I'm sorry, not a tag team match, but when it was Jason Jordan who cheated to help Rollins win the match. And Rollins wasn't upset about that. To see them celebrate the curb stomp being used on Finn Balor. I feel like we're going heel here and I feel like this is great. See, in, I think in kayfabe, though, Rollins didn't know Jordan helped him. I, I, at least I don't think so. Now, maybe he saw it back on the replay when they were walking up the ramp. I don't fully remember. But I think Rollins, like, didn't know. He did the curb stomp, kind of shrugged it off, and, and just went on with his with his way. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's a heel turn. I mean, it certainly could be the, the beginnings of one. But I think it's still going to be Jordan who's the one that ultimately turns heel. Maybe he tries to push Rollins to do a lot of things that the new reborn face Rollins doesn't want to do anymore because he's put that behind him in his past and and he stays face. And maybe we end up seeing a Rollins, Jason Jordan feud instead of a Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle feud, either at WrestleMania or leading up to it. So I'm not totally sure, but I I don't want to bring the podcast down, but I really got to go back to the fact that they did the curb stomp on Monday night. And and I just got, cause I didn't really want to say it on Twitter. Things can really get misunderstood, but the societal and historic undertones, of a curb stomp, okay? And then doing it on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, it's bad. Specifically <laughs> on that day, where where they did it in the past previously with Seth Rollins doing the curb stomp to Big E on Martin Luther King Day show. What are they thinking? Like, it, it truly boggles my mind that they think no one's going to notice this or call them out on it. I love WWE. They're smart. They do things tongue-in-cheek. If this was 1998, like, you'd probably laugh it off. Not that it's funny or at all. But but you would you would say, oh, this is WWE being edgy and and, you know, TVMA and whatever. In 2018, I just can't believe Vince did that. And I'm going to tell you one other thing I listened to on YouTube. I don't I'm not sure what podcast it was on. I think Edge and Christians. But Seth Rollins explained why the curb stomp was outlawed by Vince. And it wasn't necessarily for the societal and, and racial historic undertones of the move. Vince was worried that his top guy, the guy with the WWE championship at the time, would be doing a move that kids would replicate in a dangerous way. Now, kids always replicate wrestling moves. doesn't matter what they are. They are all potentially dangerous, but that one in particular. So the fact that they're bringing it back, it just confuses me. And, and I don't want to be a damper on the entire thing. It's an amazing finisher. 
Thank God it's back for him as a character. And if they're going to call it the blackout and if they hammer that home, fantastic. Because one of Seth Rollins' biggest problems recently has been that he did not have a finishing move. You know, the the rain trigger. No King one likes Slayer. It. It's not. Yeah, it's not great. It's just not great. None of it was good. So they're fixing that about him. And now he has the opportunity to, to as a singles competitor, actually win again and have some momentum behind him. But it really bothered me that they did it when they did it and that more people maybe aren't even upset about it. All right. I want to cut. I want to pick apart a couple of things you said right there uh, positively. Um, yeah. The Kingslayer or whatever you want to call that running knee. First of all, it was basically like taking from Omega and Akato and putting their moves yeah. together. So it wasn't original and it didn't look that devastating when you consider Seth Rollins has this move that never produces a pin. It's when he combines a superplex into a Falcon's arrow, which right. is like two finishing moves together and he never gets the pin. So that's already screwed up right there. Number two, you really got to ask yourselves about the the whole MLK connection there. Like, at least he didn't curb stomp an African-American wrestler. But like you said, it's kind of unexplainable and unforgivable why they would do it. I mean, do they did it really slip by the the quality control people? Is it Vince saying, screw it? We just did two, two MLK video packages, right? One historical, one with our own superstars at the site, uh, you know, of the of the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. So, like... Because to go that far in one direction and then pull out the curb stomp like this, it was interesting. But I want to get deeper into what, sure. why the curb stomp made me feel like a heel turn was there and why the blackout name kind of coincides with that. It's the way the episode ended. Look, Rollins versus Balor, that's a pay-per-view match. Stop giving that to us on Raw on a main event. You can argue that's another argument, but I say stop it because it made it feel not important. But they did something to close the broadcast, and that was focus on Finn Balor and the long, long, groggy, weary, concussion-like recovery he had. It was very babyface-like how they kept the camera on him and focused so much on how hard he was trying to shake the cobwebs. So here's what's interesting. Finn was a babyface two weeks ago. Last week, I came on the show saying, feels like he's heel now. He's making fun of Jason Jordan's uh, bastard father with the club behind him who are heels and now it felt like they double-turned, turned him back, and set up Seth Rollins. Adam, explain to me if you do not believe this is a double-turn. And again, is it really a double-turn if Finn was a face two weeks ago? No. But if you do not think it's a double-turn, what was this, the reason for the long cam on Balor? Yeah, well, I, I just want to say, now that I crapped on it, obviously, for 10 minutes, like it was a great moment, and I really liked it on TV. Like In terms of actual storytelling, it was great, and it's a great move. So... I just want to put that in the past. So let's actually talk wrestling. Um, I don't think it was a double turn for that very reason that you just said, BC. You can't be a heel for a week and then turn face again. Like it, it doesn't really, and you don't need a double turn in order to accomplish that when you weren't even a full heel, let's say, to begin with. I, I think this is served one of two purposes. Either they are going to write Balor out of the Rumble or some type of storyline for a short period of time using the concussion or a potential concussion as an as an excuse. Um, or they want to on air ban the move and have Balor do it. I mean, not Balor, uh, Seth Rollins do it against the ban. Like if, if Kurt Angle comes out and says, you know, you can't do that move. You're not supposed to do that move. And he says, well, I'm going to do it anyway and gets disqualified for matches with it. Then that could be part of a heel turn for Seth Rollins. So I think it's one of those two reasons. The third potentially is he just did something so devastating to Finn Balor that that's going to start a feud between those two. They dropped the titles, you know, Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins. And instead of having Finn Balor, AJ Styles, which is what I want at WrestleMania, you end up having a Finn Balor, Seth Rollins feud that lasts over the next two months. Which is great, which, by the way, is great. 
Which is great, by the way, yeah. So, and right. for the IC title or something else would be pretty cool. And that's, by the way, perfectly fine if that's the direction that they end up going. And, again, don't, like, hate that match there, but if that's the turn in that direction, that's fine. That would sort of make you think that we're removing the idea, though, that Jason Jordan's going to blow up the shield and that he would have any further business with Rollins or Reigns outside of losing the belts moving forward to WrestleMania, that he still seems online set up to have his feud with involving Angle or, you know what I mean? Like, there's going to be a payoff to this father-son thing. This week may have led you to believe it's not going to be with Reigns and Rollins. I I never thought he was... I mean, that was your uh, opinion or or booking, I guess, but I never thought he was going to break up the shield. I thought it was a convenient way to get Jason Jordan involved in an angle with really important people while Dean Ambrose was injured. And I don't think that when you have face Rollins and face Reigns that Jason Jordan is going to come between them when you have both of them looking at each other, giving them, you know, strange looks at like, what the hell is this guy doing? Um, You know, throughout the last three or four weeks on Monday Night Raw. So I think Reigns and Rollins are still aligned. And I don't think that's going to change because of Jason Jordan. But you you know know what I didn't like? I didn't like the bar running. I thought that convoluted the ending of Raw. I didn't like the bar running in. And it just leads you to believe we're not done with with uh, Reigns, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. with Rollins against feuding with the bar. And it's like, can we please be done with that? Can we please? Well, they have a match. They have a match at Royal Rumble. Hopefully they win the titles back and this is now over and Rollins, yeah. Jordan, whatever else happens, happens. But I mean, are you, has this been a success for you so far? The the adding Jason Jordan into this and, and the storylines that we've gotten over the last, let's say five or six weeks on Raw. Yes, only because I feel like they didn't have, they know their end game for Mania. And I feel like they didn't necessarily know how they were going to get there, and I think this allowed them to get there and make us question every other week. Is he going to break up the Shield? Is he going to join the Shield? Is it going to be the heel Shield? So, yes, I think his, if you're asking me if, you, if, if I like Jordan's involvement in Reigns and Rollins, yes, that, that has been a success in that regard. And I think, by the way, this curb stomp saved this episode for, of Raw overall from being a mailed-in disaster, a shiny mailed-in disaster, and we'll get into a second why Braun Strowman made it shiny, but this whole episode was like press pause. And, and mail in. The curb stomp was the only thing that got us talking about what could be next, really, if we're being honest. No, you're 100% right, and I don't think there's any reason to delay it. Let's move into the second part of the main event here, which you thought was shiny, and I didn't. Braun Strowman opens Monday Night Raw by basically getting fired by Kurt Angle, going nuts a la Kane and back in 1998, and then he gets rehired with a phone call from Stephanie McMahon. Um, this isn't Hero Zero BC, but Hero Zero. Oh, it's a zero. I'm saying it's a shiny mail-in. This episode was a mail-in. In the end, how they handed the, handled the Braun Strowman storyline this week was a mail-in. But it was a hell of a shiny mail-in because it was incredibly entertaining. But there's a lot of problems with it, Adam. And the biggest problem is, look, it's kind of a repeat of what he's already done, right? It's another destruction spot. You can argue and say, that's what we want out of Braun. We don't want talking segments. We don't want anything but him destroying things. So in that regard, it's a win. But the way they handled the the small parts of this story just really just really sucked. Well, I mean, I'm going to be really honest. It did suck. He got fired so quickly by Kurt Angle. Like, so abruptly. Not even a long-delayed, like, type of, you know, stretch it out, you're, you know, like, none of, none of that whatsoever. Yeah. It was like, you're fired. You're fired, guy. Okay? <laughs> so, whatever. That's fine. There was still potential for it to go in a good direction. But in the back of your head, you're saying, 
this better lead to something great because Roman Reigns tried to kill Braun Strowman last year and destroyed property and destroyed an, a- an ambulance and did a lot of really bad things and got nothing for it. Nothing. I think Kurt Angle like looked at him sideways one time on Raw the next week yeah. and I mean, that's about it. So that's already a major hole in the storyline. And they doubled down on that hole, Adam, by then rehiring him and not rehiring him with some extra info, like Steph on the phone saying, look, we got to rehire him for this reason because he's going to kill us. Basically, it was just like, no, 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 you're bi- you're bigger than all of us. And you can you can we just realize that you can unplug the TV cables from the truck and flip it upside down and, and you know, slam buttons and basically be like, I'll shut this whole show down. What's this do? If I smash this right now, what shut all these monitors off in here? Huh? Huh? What about you? What is this? How do I shut this stuff off? And that's gold, Adam. That's absolute gold. It's great. But storyline-wise, we are nowhere more advanced than we were last week. And again, it's a mail-in. Making it a shiny mail-in does allow for people to retweet it a ton of times. It does allow for entertainment. But... Not only are we nowhere more advanced than we were a week before, when you consider the holes in the storyline this created, it, it was really a step back, right? So the first hour of Raw wasted an hour of my life, and there's no other way to put it. Coming off of what you said, like, all right, first of all, the entire scenario of firing him to open Raw was terrible. It just set the stage for an absolutely awful storyline. There was no way that it was going to be good. There was no way Braun was going to get fired. There was no way he was going to wind up on SmackDown. There was no way he wasn't going to be in the championship match at the Royal Rumble. And any smart fan, you know, not a smart, if you're eight years old watching Raw, you knew Braun Strowman wasn't getting fired because it made absolutely no sense. What Kurt Angle could have done is, you know, kept him there and removed him from the title match or threatened to. Or they could have said, well, you know, you don't get the fight on this week and neither Brock nor Kane. By the way, two people in the main event of Royal Rumble. Not, neither of them are even on the show. <laughs> so you give him other reasons to get upset and throw a fit, but firing him, I mean, it just didn't make any sense. Then you have him do the most basic upset stuff, kicking over trash cans, flipping a, a car. I say that's basic because he's already done it. They could have done really cool spots with, with the Braun Strowman here and actually made something that was chicken crap into chicken salad. They could have had him actually take Raw off the air, which... You just do with graphics and stuff. They did it before, like, five, six years ago. There was something involving Triple H and John Cena. I'm forgetting what it was, and I actually want to go back and watch that show because it was a cool moment. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, please tweet me. But take Raw off the air. Have them suddenly go to commercial break and not and not come back. And then when they do, there's a problem with production. Like, why not do that? That'd be cool. Get a cop to try to stop him and stun him with a taser, and it doesn't affect him. Like, there's things you can do to make him seem like a badass, except just kicking over things, and then a couple funny spots of eating chocolate cake. There was no reason that when he was in that truck, something didn't happen. It really pissed me off. I thought it was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, so it's a missed opportunity because there were really good moments, like coming into catering and everyone being, you know, scared, and he choke slams Kurt Hawkins through a table and then does that fun little spot with cake. That's great. And you know what was even better than that? This line. I'm not leaving to I mean, that's incredibly good. That should be on a T-shirt. That's so good. But again, you wasted it because the storyline didn't match up. And I know there's a lot of people on Twitter. I don't know how they were typing this. I don't know if they don't watch WWE regularly, but respect to people who are like, oh, that's Braun's star-making moment. This was his full-circle main event elite star. No, that moment was last year during the Reigns feud, and it was great, and he's flipping over ambulances. That was that moment. This was 
ah, we don't have anything in the storyline, so let's fill time with something fun. But something fun can come at a price, right? Like, the story is always what matters. This set the story back. Now, bonus DM slide from a regular contributor in this spot, Adam X Parsons on Twitter. He says, last night was absolutely Monday Night Brawn. It was reminiscent of the... November 2nd, 1998 Raw, where Kane caused destruction for the majority of the show. Definitely worth checking it out on the network to see the parallels. Now, I want to steal. I want to steal one of your lines. Okay, how dare you? How (laughs) dare you? I mean, yes. Was it parallel? Sure. Well, I'm going to tell you something that was a little bit played out here. So that's called Kane's Night of Destruction. And that was great, right? November 2nd, 98, when he single-handedly took down the show. Do you know what happened two months before that, though? And I've referenced it on the show before because I was there that night. It was September 5th, 1998 in New Haven at the New Haven Coliseum. And it was two nights after or one night after SummerSlam, whatever. And it was called Kane and Undertaker's Night of Destruction when the exact same thing happened two months earlier. And Kane and Undertaker upset at McMahon, who publicly ripped them for not taking out Steve Austin at SummerSlam, destroyed every single match. It was awesome. It was great. Kane kind of repeated it two months later. So now, is this a comparison to that? Well, no, because I made that same comparison about that New Haven show last year when Braun did the same thing then. This is no advancement of that outside of the many, you know, added touches of comedy, which, again, are great. Let me play that again. I'm not leaving till everybody gets these That's incredible. But you, you, you played yourself. But why isn't he doing that in the middle of the ring after interrupting a match, knocking both people out, putting a chair down, and then dropping that line or threatening to ruin the show and actually doing things that are not just threatening people's live lives, you know, backstage or ruining equipment, but actually doing things that destroy the show and disrupt what's going on, like taking it off the air. It just, it was so poorly done. It was like, they just said, hey, let's have Braun destroy stuff. All right, Braun, go do whatever you want to do backstage. And they teased the bag at him because when the firing happened, I gave them a, a, I took him off the hook right away. I wasn't going to get upset. I was like, okay, let's see it play out. You know why? Because I said to myself, is this going to change that triple threat match, which no one wants? And if it was, I was like, is this going to start a new course for Brock and Braun? It didn't. We're right back to where we started, and that's why it sucks. Yeah, it was just terrible. Uh, Let's move on to the third part of this main event. Another not-so-great story, unfortunately. Paige has reportedly suffered a career-ending Neck injury, it has been confirmed by the Dave Meltzer here. WWE to this point has only announced that she will miss the Royal Rumble with that neck injury. Paige has subsequently tweeted that 2018 will be her year. BC, let's first talk. We want to talk about some women's wrestling here in the third part of this main event. But let's first go through Paige here. Um, You know, how much does this suck? Like, I don't know how else to really tee up there. It's horrible. Look, she's 25 years old. And obviously, you know, she was a a rising star, even with her issues outside of the ring, even with the fact that because of that neck injury and some of the other issues outside of the ring, she's been out for, what, more than a year. And she came back and she looked great. And you feel like for her personal life, which has had its ups and downs, her being back healthy in the ring was great for that for a lot of reasons. So this seems to come at a really inopportune time if you're cheering for Paige. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be cheering for Paige. I'm just questioning a bit whether this really does mean she's done. I know this has been compared to the injury which forced Edge into a somewhat early retirement. But let's remember, she's only 25. I know she started her career very early, coming second-generation wrestler, her whole family wrestles in Europe. But she certainly hasn't taken the, the type of pounding Edge has. So it makes you wonder if this is definitely necessarily an end-of-your-career moment. 
or it also makes you wonder if WWE still has a lot of plans for her as a manager, as a personality, because she has a lot to give. There may not be another female on the roster who's more comfortable on screen in her own skin and can be a really special character. The fact that they haven't confirmed it, and they should have no reason to confirm it right now because this absolution thing is in play. It's part of the storyline. Why just blow that up when they want to sort of get to some kind of end game? I just have questions by the way they handled it and by how she tweeted at him, whether this actually is the end. Like, if, like I'm not doubting the severity of the injury, but I think she's young enough that who knows what she could do to, to heal and rehab and get herself back in there. Well, don't forget, you had Shawn Michaels come back from that back injury where he was retired and he had an entire second phase of his career. I think with Paige here, she's only 25, but man, she started wrestling at like 12. So the bumps Fair. and bruises you take when you're not fully developed and your body's not, you know, fully, uh, you know, st strong bone wise. I mean, that can really take a toll later in life. I, I find it interesting that they haven't just come out and straight up announced it. I think it's more than anything. They don't want to take attention away from the Royal Rumble, the first ever women's Royal Rumble. Uh, the fact that she has a team in Absolution that are doing big things. And I wouldn't be surprised, and we'll talk about this in a bit, if some of the results of women's matches Monday Night on Raw had a little to do with this. But it's really unfortunate. I think they'll wait until after the Rumble to make the announcement or have her make the announcement, assuming that it is career ending or at least is going to sideline her for an extended period of time. But there's no way you can bring her back to TV right now, as long as she's healthy, and not have her continue, at least in the manager role that she's in. She actually cut a promo with Absolution on Twitter, on WWE's Twitter account, after Raw, and it was really good. She did all the talking, and it wasn't just about her character, it was about her group and what they want to do, what their goals are in Raw and, and with WWE. Regarding Paige's injury, one last point I want to make, because this is a note I skipped over. Apparently, as she was rehabbing this past year, Doctors told her it was only matter, a matter of time before something like this would happen and her career would have to end, which was very similar. That's why people are comparing it to Edge. And a lot of people are blaming Sasha Banks for this. If you saw how Paige got injured, it was at a house show. Basically, she took a drop kick to her back, fell flat on her face. She stopped herself. And people are blaming Sasha Banks. Listen, Sasha, blame, Sasha Banks is not to blame for this injury. This could have happened to anyone at any time. It could have happened to her the night she came back. It could have happened three years down the line here. So get off her back and just realize that this is a dangerous sport and people get hurt. Hopefully with Paige, we see her in the ring, BC, again, because she's really good. And oh, this yeah. is really unfortunate. She's great. And this is why I say don't fast forward out of this absolution gimmick yet because there's still a lot to do. And I think you saw that as a spinoff result of what happened on Raw. And I thought the way they handled it was smart to, to only announce it as a short-term thing because in the end, absolution comes out. For this match, Sonya Deville against Sasha Banks. Banks has Mickey James and Bailey in her corner, which, by the way, reminds you so much of the, of the you know, b bad and the sorority sisters and all that crap that we saw a few years ago. But Sonya Deville goes over Sasha Banks clean, and you know what? I thought this was a great move because we know Paige can't wrestle maybe ever, but definitely for a while, you suddenly really need to put over the two women that 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 are now going to be the face of this absolution. Uh, faction you can call them and I thought DeVille looked great catching Banks off the top rope with a stiff kick it matched her MMA gimmick and to get the pin off that I came away from there going yeah you had to put over Absolution or they're going to be now below the Riot Squad in terms of our believability power rankings well first of all it's not possible for them to be below the Riot Squad that's that's literally the bottom barrel of WWE right now but I actually didn't like it for a couple reasons one I'm just sick of them com continuously burying Sasha Banks Give her some big, clean wins and let her hold a title for more than two weeks. Like, 
she's one of your top. Uh, someone tweeted at me that she's like bottom 15 women stars in the women's division. No, no, no. She's top five. And giving her a legitimate push, especially as a heel, she can be a massive star, not just for women's wrestling, but for WWE as a whole. So I didn't like seeing this when you had Bailey and Mickey James, who both could have been in that spot, taking the exact same move. You didn't, she didn't take a finisher. She took a kick to the stomach and got pinned clean in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. I'm a little worried it's going to come back 50-50 booking next week and Banks wins. Oh, it will. It will. It will. And, and, and your and point is basically... right. I guess I'm so beaten down to the fact that she's not getting what she deserves. I mean, let's not forget, in twenty early 2016, people were saying that she has, like, the rock potential to be a crossover type of WWE superstar because of the connection to Snoop Dogg, because of how, you know, how great she was as a heel in NXT. Obviously, for reasons we don't know how bad their booking can be on the women's side. she has They haven't given her that. We know there's a lot of drama in the locker room, all that. But I thought it made De- DeVille look better that she did it against Sasha rather than Bailey, who has no street cred anymore, and rather than Mickey James. I mean, come on. So I, I didn't hate that. But, but WWE doesn't even sell it. Like, DeVille wins. They should say, whoa, she just beat a three-time women's champ. Clean. Like, if you're going to do it, build it up. Make Sasha angry. And then next week, if Sasha does get the 50-50 booking, Make it like she really was passionate about it, had to try really hard to beat Sonya Deville. And you, then you're putting her over twice if you're going to do it that way. For me, I just wish they would have done it to Mickey James or Bailey and just given her it, given, give her the another one next week, have Mandy Rose beat Bailey next week, and then Sasha Banks isn't hurt. They both still get street cred. You know what? They don't just, care. Adam, come on, they don't care. They don't, don't care. care. They, they have an end game. They want to get there. But we also saw this week, Adam, in one of Raw's really – you know, bright spots, to be honest. It was Asuka against Nia Jax. Now, again, I'm going to have a problem. This is a pay-per-view match. This is a match that I want to not know what it looks like. I, the first time that they wrestle, I want it to be on a pay-per-view for a title, and I want to wonder how they'll go against each other. I'm not saying you can't have them run in on each other at any point, but I really didn't like this. The, so I said this was a bright spot. It was a bright spot because the match was really good. And it was a bright spot because I thought the booking was great. To have a TKO finish, you put over Asuka's unbeaten streak and kept that alive. You put over Jax's toughness where the referee, Jax didn't get beat. The referee had to stop the match. And I felt that there was pay-per-view quality reversals in there and all this good stuff, Adam. But that doesn't fix the fact that I don't want to see this now. And I know I whine about that a lot. And if you're a cynic against me and you're out there listening, you're going to say, Campbell, you don't like it when we get good stuff on Raw. What do you want, Raw to stink? No, I want Raw to tease. Raw should always be a teaser for the pay-per-views. It's the old system. TV shows used to set up the big live shows. Now, then they eventually set up the pay-per-views. They should be the teaser for the end down the road. I mean, uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about seeing Cena reigns way before we ever should have. It's sort of a, the same type of thing. Don't give it to that to us now. Put it on the on the stage it deserves. Did you know that Nia Jax has a below 20% winning percentage? This, wow. Wow. How is how, that possible? How is only, that possible? Does they she only ha- wrestle the top 10, the top tier women then? Basically, and and this includes house shows and stuff, obviously, because she, she's mostly been a healer, or I guess they want to put you know some of the faces over, but she's below 20%. This is a dominant woman who's great in the ring, has a pretty decent character, particularly when she's a heel, and they just job her out. Time and again, now, in this case, I actually did like it as well. My only issue with the match was they didn't advertise it before Raw. This should be like an attraction match. You want people to tune into your show for it. You don't just surprise people with it on the show. I, I, here's why I like it. Not just because it preserved Asuka's streak. It gave Nia Jackson out for the Royal Rumble. If she can sell this injury for the next two weeks, then an injured Jax can be hobbled and either 
you know, easily tossed over the top rope in terms of isn't able to fight back in the same way. I almost wish that they had done it with a shoulder or with a different, you know, body part. So it even made, made even more sense. But I think it gives her an out for the Royal Rumble, which if you don't give them that, it makes it difficult to believe that she wouldn't win. That no, that's that's a good that's a good way to look at it. And and like I told you, it was something I liked and didn't like at the same time. So sometimes that's better than hating it. Before we get out of the main event, though, I want to get one sure. back thing on the on that curb stomp on that racism. If Vince was ever straight up act, asked about racism in WWE, you'd have to imagine he'd say this: There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it. We'll allow it under any circumstances, and that's the bottom line. That is the bottom line because Stone Cold said from? so. I don't know, but I had it on my soundboard, and I'm like, if there's ever a time to use that, it's right now. Because I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm watching some 2002 to 2004 WWE. That statement does not hold up. Let me just say <laughs> There are some things that happen with, with Teddy Long and some other people that, um, let's just say that. You're like, you can give me a five-minute video package on MLK, but that still doesn't fix the past. All right. <laughs> that is true. BC, we went through the main event, a triple main event this week. Now let's move on to Hero or Zero. BC, we completely glossed over SmackDown for very good reason in the main event, but let's kick off Hero or Zero with what is not just the Blue Show, but the B Show now in WWE. Bobby Roode defeated Jinder Mahal in a rushed final of the United States Championship Tournament, which was suddenly in the main event of this week's SmackDown. It was supposed to be at the Royal Rumble. Then it was advertised for next week's SmackDown, the go-home show to the Royal Rumble. And suddenly, BC, we got both semifinal matches and the championship in the main event on Tuesday night. So Hero or Zero, not just to the main event match itself, which I think deserves a Hero or Zero question, but the booking here in throwing three matches on this tournament into one single show. Zero. Everything about SmackDown Live is zero, and we've had this rant week to week, so I don't want to rehash it, but I can't fast-forward through this show fast enough. I usually watch it on like an hour to two-hour delay, and it's like it's starting to feel like 2015 SmackDown again, where it's clearly the B-show. Nothing new happens on it. It's sort of like leftover matches they throw on there. I mean, this was SmackDown a week out of the go-home to Rumble, and we didn't even have Kevin Owens, and we didn't even have, you know, AJ Styles or any of them on here. We had a video package, and this is what we got instead, okay? Does the fast-forwarding make sense? Because at the Royal Rumble, rather than have Bobby Roode, Jinder Mahal, which may not entice a lot of people to be excited, we may end up having, by the way, Dolph Ziggler against, against the champion here, for all we know, right? For all we know. Would that be a better situation? Yes. That's yeah. the only thing that can be a hero if they go there. Everything else is a zero, and here's the hard truth why it's a zero. Because guess what? Bobby Roode versus Mojo Raleigh was just not great TV. It was okay. Mojo's new thing as a heel, his new song, and running in like for the football stance like he's a bootleg ultimate warrior, not doing it. And I'm sorry, Bobby Roode, when not paired with an A, with an a side that entices you, He's just not doing it. He's not. And it was kind of his problem in NXT, too, at the very top. I love Bobby Roode, but there is a ceiling to him. So Roode winning and then going again against Mahal, it's like, who do I cheer for in this spot? Seriously, I don't love Roode that much as a fan. This was the main event, and it was, to me, a predictable ending. Maybe other people thought Jinder was going to win. It was, to me, a predictable ending. This whole thing was just really vanilla, and that sucks. SmackDown, you are the B-show. You suck right now. It is that was one of talking about the main event. That was one of the worst matches I've seen on WWE in the last 13 months. 
And if that that right now is my number one worst match of the year in WWE, and I'm going to be shocked if anything beats it out. It was slow, methodical, and boring. They took 25 minutes to do it with Bobby Roode and Jinder Mahal. The fans, I don't know if you got a chance to look at the audience. They were sitting on their hands and checking their phones for a U.S. championship match in the main event. You know why? Because the bracket was terrible with the people they put in it. They have five superstars or four superstars in a main event feud that didn't advance at all during the entire show, nor did we see them in the show. But hey, was- tune into but tune into Facebook, Adam, because you'll see all our real stars right after SmackDown. Mix met the 20-minute mixed match challenge, and we'll get to that later, was way better than the two-hour SmackDown. It's not even close, okay? The only thing that was decent here is that the finish was a bit unexpected, as I think everyone was conditioned to believe. I know I was the Jinder Mahal was going to win this tournament. Because if you have the WWE champion coming out of that reign and coming into this tournament, you think, okay, they finally built him up to a spot where him as U.S. champion works. And Bobby Roode as U.S. champion works, too. As a heel, not as a face. Except Exactly. Except he should be a heel, not a face. And they have done nothing to get him over as a face. All he does is walk out, have a good theme, says glorious people like that. So they're like, oh, he's over. No, you did nothing. His entire character is one word. And you haven't explained why he is glorious. What's his backstory? What did he do in NXT? There's no depth to this. He's, a ba- he's an arrogant babyface. That doesn't work. People don't want to cheer for like people don't want to get behind an arrogant babyface. He's basically like a Rick Rude, Ric Flair '80s mix. So let him act like it. Come on. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, they 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 are they waste so many people coming out of NXT, and just the way that this entire thing was booked, throwing both of these on one show. And why would you announce they had to make this decision last minute? This had to be decided at like 4 p.m. that we're going to put this in the main event. Maybe because Kevin Owens, he's apparently injured, was too hurt or whatever. BC, this was awful. I mean, and by the way, no one's going to really talk about this. They were both wearing blue, which was really People on Twitter and DMs, all of our fans are hitting me up on it. It didn't matter to me. Look, obviously, I I, I don't care, but they cared to a lot of people. The worst part about it, Adam, to be really honest, it didn't even advance the Shane Daniel Bryan story. They they should have used this as the placeholder to advance that story. It didn't. We're not any closer to, like, good developments in Shane Daniel Bryan. Shane and Daniel Bryan were standing next to each other, smiling buddy-buddy during the entire match. This is, like, this was beyond mail-in. Like, this was, like... It's just a zero. We got zero. Move along, right? I mean, I didn't even give my grade. That's how upset I was. Zero. Let's move on to number two. I'm glad we spent some time on that, though, because it was that bad and it deserves criticism. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. But number two, Adam, the aforementioned WWE Mixed Max Challenge, if I said that correctly, debuted live on Facebook Watch right after SmackDown as the duo of Sasha Banks and Finn Balor defeated Shinsuke Nakamura and Natalia in the opening match. Adam, hero or zero to WWE's new venture? So I gave a one-word Twitter review on this, and that was fun. This was fun. It was a hero. Um, I wish there was a little bit more pre-match and post-match stuff going on, whether a pre, you know, previews of them as a team, explaining what the show is, um, just an introduction to who's on commentary and, and kind of a little bit more of a show feel. I don't think they need to rush it in and out in 20 minutes. Just do 30 minutes and give me 10 extra minutes of filler that's important. Um, and maybe they will do that as this moves on and they, they go back to the previous matches in this tournament round robin. I'm not even sure what it is. But BC, it was fun. The match was really good. And I hope, like, I hope the rest of the matches are this good. I'm really excited to see Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss as a team, along with Miz and Asuka. Like, those two teams, plus Sasha Banks and Finn Balor, they have something going here, and I, I think it's going to do pretty well. What about you? I'm afraid! 
Uh, it's a zero, and it's not a zero in a big hellfire way it's telling you that it sucked. It didn't suck, but here's the thing. What is it? You know what it was? It was average. It was vanilla, just like SmackDown was before it, and just like Raw largely was outside of those two parts of the two or three parts of the main event that we talked about. I don't think there's anything here for me. I'm not mad at them, Adam, but I'll be honest with you. I know it got great ratings. I, I looked at the amount of people that were watching it live on Facebook. I watched it on a bit of a delay, and I pretty much fast-forwarded through most of it. To me, seeing some of these people paired up isn't giving me dream match feels. Like even Ms. Maurice, Cena, Nikki did ahead of Mania. I got dialed into that. I accepted it for what it was, and I enjoyed that. This isn't giving me those type of feels. Seeing Finn Balor put on Sasha Banks' tight little shirt and doing the hand gestures with her, like... One time, maybe, but we've been inundated on social media with, you know, ads for this to get excited. And Shinsuke's wearing Jim the Anvil's jacket and he's doing hat. He's doing kitty cat hand poses. You know what? That's not for me as a fan. It first really is. First of all, how dare you? Shinsuke in Jim the Anvil Nightheart's jacket was awesome. Like, there's some nostalgia there seeing that jacket and but having like, that. Give it to him. But just like we say, Bobby Roode is basically down to a catchphrase right now. His whole thing is is glorious. The whole Mix Max challenge is that. Like, that's the whole thing. The whole thing is come see one superstar act out the other person's gimmick. You know what I didn't like on Raw in the past few years? Remember that time Bailey came out with The New Day and everybody on Twitter's like, this is fun. And I'm like, sorry to be like the old guy, you know, sitting on the porch saying, get off my block. This is not fun to me. They don't, there's no connection there. There's no correlation. It's a little bit lame. I kind of feel like the Mix Max challenge is a little bit lame because it doesn't accomplish anything, Adam. You know what I really wanted this to be? I wanted it to not be in a full-size live arena. I wanted it to maybe be in a small studio, maybe an NXT-type arena, have different kind of camera angles, have the announcers. Like, when we saw Byron Saxton and Renee Young outside the ring in the beginning, I'm like, are they going to call the match from walking around the ring? It needs something fresh, different, new school, new technology. Because, look, doing it live on Facebook Watch is the story. That's a big deal. But we got a house show match. We did. I don't not, Am I excited to see who no, wins? No. So- no. You're making good points. I do agree with that. It would be nice if there was a little some something different in terms of production and how they put it together. But man, I saw a really pretty good match, mixed match, which is difficult in the execution as is with tagging and both people have to change with four really good wrestlers. And we saw Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura put on a good five minutes together that we haven't really seen in WWE before. It was a hero. Uh, that's a ahead. waste. That's a but that's a bad tease because yeah, again, perfect. that's a pay per view match. I don't need that in a mix. Okay, but they but they weren't putting them one on one for this long drawn out drawn out thing. They gave us a taste. It was fun. If you're a WWE fan and, and you tuned into this, which is a small portion of them, you just want to see a fun match, and that's what it was. I think they delivered on their promise. That's I got to ask though, what are they giving WWE fans? Like, what's the payoff? That's the thing. There is none. It's more to watch in the week. We already complain about how there's too much well, this, to watch. There's this is too much because again I'd much rather have the four of them sitting sitting down telling jokes or cutting promos on each other because that's something different you get to see their personalities a little bit more this is just a house show match and there's no prize like yeah it's great that it's going to charity that's fine but there's not even like a trophy and or title shot guaranteed for the winner or like what like well, what see. is there there's nothing let's see they got 12 weeks to keep pulling it out I I, I think for now it's it was good for what it was the only truly bad part of it bc is the way michael cole opened this entire damn mixed match challenge in 21 years at wwe i've never been more excited for this groundbreaking show here tonight live on facebook watch I'm jo- oh my okay mike God. you've been in wwe for two decades and the most excited you've ever been is the mixed match challenge 
you've called some of the greatest matches of all time. Give me a break, BC. We're, we're going long well, well, here. One we more have... thing, though. It's yeah. a fail to have Cole on there. It was a fail to even have Corey Graves. It's a little bit of overexposure now for Corey Graves. Like, it, it's, it's fine. You want to bring back the Glamazon. That's fine. But, again, it should have been new announcers. It should have been something hip. It should have been something different. I, I agree. I did think Renee Young as a host is solid. But if you had Renee Young, Beth Phoenix, and, like, one other person, Byron, if you had that triple, that trio, it would have been fine. They don't, they don't what are they doing? Hours. The hosts just throw it to the announcers. It's not like yeah. they're, you know, it'd be nice if they interviewed the person on the, on the apron with the tag rope during the match, something innovative, yes. something different. Yeah. Make you're, it. You're hundred percent right. The product, the production needs to be different and unique and innovative. But if you do that, it's fine. The match was fine. It was good. It was fun. All right, let's move on, BC. Third part of Hero Zero. Let's make these last three relatively lightning because we've given these people plenty of great content today. UFC light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier and the Young Bucks made up on Twitter. If you remember, Cormier gave the Young Bucks a lot of crap for that you know, super kick party spot that I also ripped. Drop and kick, I yeah. became a fan of Daniel Cormier when he started ripping them, but now they've both apologized. Is all good with UBC Hero Zero? Well... They apologized after it heated up again. It heated up because Cormier was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani and was asked about it, and it led to another Twitter storm. And basically, it ended with Daniel Cormier kind of saying this. I'm not leaving till everybody gets these hands! And that's kind of the problem. He wasn't realizing that this is like trash-talking, kind of borderline kayfabe and how it should be on social media between wrestlers. He was like, no, legitimately, I'm going to F the Jacksons up if I see them. So it was the Young Bucks who essentially acquiesced and were like, I'm deleting all the tweets. I don't need this hate. And it was Cormier who suddenly has so much love for them. So look, the end game is hero. But I got to say a little bit of a zero to DC for, I don't know, not kind of realizing what's really going on here. Young Bucks using his name to get a little bit more famous. And it was also Cormier who started it by ripping them on Twitter. So he really kind of had it coming to begin with. So for him to escalate it to, no, I'll actually ground and pound you and, 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 and tap you out. He didn't say that, but that's essentially what he's trying to say. That's a little bit of a zero there. Come on, dude. Massive zero for me. I, I doubt I'll ever meet DC. And so I'm just going to call this week. And I didn't really like it, so DC, don't beat me up if you ever do happen to meet me. But I was really into, like, him just not letting it go and, and you know, criticizing them and it coming from a guy who is a true wrestling fan. He's, he, I think he said that he probably never will do professional wrestling, but he's a fan. He used to watch it growing up, and he was critical of it for good reason because it aligned with exactly my problems. And to completely backtrack on it, I don't like that, DC. I thought you were better than it. So full zero for me. Adam, number four hero or zero, Matt Hardy did an interview with IGN where he preached patience to the WWE fan base regarding his Woken character and the Woken story. He promised there's a long way to go still in telling this to a mainstream audience. He also made up publicly the week before on Twitter with the former Impact Brass and released a teaser video from the Hardy compound. Hero or Zero on sort of spinning us back in a positive direction based on these on where this Woken story is going. Massive hero. You know, I'm a pessimist on this show often, but I, I think I was trying to calm you down when you were just completely ripping the Woken character, saying, BC, BC, it's early. There's still time for this thing to develop. So Matt Hardy kind of showing me I was, what's that word, BC? Right. That they are You're not the kind of guy who would like. We're not the kind of guys to say, we told you so, but we told you so. Oh, wait, you are that kind of guy. Keep going. Keep going. I, I missed the opportunity for that drop. That's my fault. But. Uh, so I'm very pleased with this answer from him. He also said on Twitter, he promised on Twitter that we're going to get the full 
Woken Universe. And Senor Benjamin actually sent a tweet today. And let me read this tweet to you. Hola, John Cena. If you are not using it, can I borrow your shovel? Gracias. Amazing. That's amazing. So, That's amazing. so if, if Senior Benjamin's getting in, if Vanguard's getting in, if Rebby and King Maxwell, et cetera, et cetera, which it does seem like is the direction that they are going, hero for me. Yeah, it, 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 look, it, the, the developments really lean toward hero. I have a lot of issues still, but if we get Skarsgård, the dilapidated boat, I mean, come on. I think what they really do, though, they really need to tell the story, and they haven't. They really, to be honest, they haven't told why he was suddenly woken, and I thought they did that in TNA. They did that. It was, you know, him and Jeff Hardy were tag champions. Jeff did a stupid thing and got in a motorcycle accident, stupid in Matt's eyes, right? They had to give up the belts. He was so angry at Matt for being a, a danger junkie and a spot monkey yeah. that it led to him getting broken and it was awesome in the future you know and it led to their fe- initial feud before they teamed up they really have to tell that story or any story that justifies why he's that weird in WWE and there's still time so I'm going to hold off I'm going to say this it, is this is a, a hero direction they definitely jumped to him being woken too quickly without telling the story I do agree with that but he has said and he said in this IGN interview there will be time and opportunity for them to tell the entire story as they now want to tell it to a brand new audience in WWE. And he understands why people like you who loved the old gimmick and everything are upset because they want all of it now, but he's basically preaching patience. And so good for him. BC, let's end hero zero here with our fifth topic. WWE officially signed Ricochet, War Machine, and Candice LeRae all into developmental. They announced it on Tuesday. On a related note, Bobby Lashley and EC3 both said goodbye at a recent Impact tapings, and rumors are that at least EC3, but possibly both of them, are next. Hero or zero to this influx of talent all coming at once to the Performance Center and possibly NXT. Oh, big time hero. I I really like all of these names, and I mean, even for Candice, you know, Mrs. Johnny Wrestling Gargano to be, you know, reunited with her husband is obviously great as well. Uh, I think the the best news from here, to be honest, is Ricochet because this guy is so young, so dynamic, so still untapped, and this is a really strong move for Trips, Hunter, Paul, for removing Ricochet from the revolution, to be really honest with you, where he's done great stuff in Ring of Honor and on a smaller level in NJPW, this guy can be a main roster star and a dynamic one, but I think in the short term, he could be great for NXT as an attraction, as a guy you really have to see. And look, you know, I have no problems with War Machine. Lashley and EC3, though, I, you know, I've been a, an Impact guy because of the Hardys, specifically in 2016. Lashley's still doing really good work, and he wants to have a few with Brock Lesnar before his career is done. And I think that that could be real MMA stiff and real good. And look, EC3's been in the company before. He's been in NXT. It's what, like Derek Bateman? Showed some promise, and they got rid of him. He's really done a good job. We talk about guys like Drew McIntyre, but I think EC3 has done a great job at reinventing himself. He's a great body, can handle himself in sort of a cocky character. I think this is good things because we talk about NXT being thin. We talk about NXT. Takeovers are always great, but even when we look ahead to the WrestleMania takeover show for NXT in New Orleans... On paper, is it going to get you out of your seat? Like, we know it's going to deliver, but when you have the potential now to add these names into the company, it's only going to amp up everything. Yeah, so for me, it's a hero solely for Ricochet. I mean, just getting him in this company and the things he can do. You know, everyone's going to say, I hope he's not on 205 Live. But you know what? Ricochet, Leo Rush, you know, if they actually want to build 205 Live and make it something that people want to watch, 
they now have guys that will make that possible, which they haven't really had before outside of Neville, who maybe comes back now that there's actual competition and he might be able to get featured alongside some of these dudes. So Hero for me, War Machine, I, I kind of think they're just, I, I like them in the ring from what I've seen from them in New Japan, but it's another big duo and WWE has a lot of those. All of a sudden, Candice LeRae like that signing as well. I don't know EC3 from a hole in the wall, so I'm not going to act as if I do. Bobby Lashley, I loved his first run in WWE. I think he is someone who they can put one of the two world titles on. And and I'd also like to see a tag team reunion at some point of... If you lose, I get to shave your head. Because he was great with Bobby Lashley. <laughs> I would prefer not to see that reunion. But overall, a hero for me, again, mostly for Ricochet. Could be Hero Zero segment, BC. There we go. There we go. Well, it's guest of the week time, Adam. The heartbreak kid is coming. Enough said. Get ready. Enjoy. Very excited to welcome in WWE Hall of Famer, the showstopper himself, Shawn Michaels, ahead of the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. That episode will air live on the UFC Network, 8-7 Central on Monday, January 22nd emanating from the Barclays Center and where it all began at the Manhattan Center. And Sean, please, let's start off. Take me back to where it all began. January 11th, 1993, episode one. What's the what's the locker room like? What's the atmosphere for a show like this debuting? Well, I think, uh, what I remember about that is the just the unknowns. Um, you know, all of us wondering, and we were barking on this, totally new and certainly for all of us that I guess grew up with the traditional Saturday morning or Saturday night wrestling, um, just wondering, gosh, how all this was going to go. And then of course you add on top of that live television, you know, and all you could think about is, well, what if this happens or what if that happens or what if, you know, <laughs> you know and, 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 you know, worrying about making a mistake or, or I don't know, just, I, that's the thing that all these years later that I, I just remember thinking about the most is just no matter how long you had been doing the job and no matter how much confidence you might have, this was uh, entirely new for us and just not having any idea. Gosh, I remember thinking about, again, trying to juggle all the things like coming back from commercial break, going into commercial, um, and sort of just not really having any idea um, how that was going to go. Cause those were all variables that we never had to think about before. Um, and I think, it, I think what's amazing is all these years later, I have no idea the, the experience and what we learned um, from that. And, 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 and uh, I, I don't know. I, I always think that's, that's pretty neat. No, no doubt about it. And Raw obviously went on to play such a key role in the Monday Night Wars, the Attitude Era, opposite WCW Nitro. Was there a, a turning point, an episode, a moment when on Raw where you believed WWE was going to win the war, that Raw was going to be this this vehicle that would that would overtake and, and you know, maybe become the show that it is today? Uh, you know what? I don't I don't know if um... I don't know. There was ever a time when, I don't know, we didn't think that when everything was said and done, we weren't going to be the guys standing. I, and again, I guess I, I say we, I mean, I can only speak for me. Um, I just know that I can remember um, 
again, expressing it to you know, my buddy at the time, Hunter, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and and thinking to myself, look, you know, we know that I've always known the guy I worked for, um, and the the dude works twenty four seven, and that's why it was that's why it was always easy never to leave. There was absolutely uh, no way that that guy was going to give up. Uh, you didn't know when, you didn't know how long or whatever, but there was absolutely no way he was not going to continue standing and continue fighting. And so um, really, once, once you know that, it's just, are you willing to, to wait it out? And of course, you know, I was doing what I loved to do. And so I certainly, you know, uh, didn't mind, but, 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 you know, it, it, I mean, certainly there, you know, a lot of nerves, a lot of concern, a lot of worry and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure all those years from, from the higher ups, but, but those of us that, you know, again, were just sort of the, the workhorses, so to speak, our job was to go out there and do the best we could. And quite honestly, let them worry about the, you know, the more important stuff. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, so many great moments we can bring up, which I, which is cool when you get to an anniversary like this, Raw 25, watching the, the special on the WWE Network, counting it down. You know, uh, February 13th, 1997, not Monday Night Raw, but Thursday, Raw Thursday, one of those big moments. Here, let's listen to five seconds from that. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. Sean, that's iconic. That's Heartbreak Kid in the middle of it, in, in the peak period of the business, a major storyline. But that's a moment where even today people debate what really happened, what really caused that that famous line. Can you give us sort of a insight of what was going on in your personal life backstage at that moment? Well, nothing good, I can tell you that much. <laughs> you know, Um no, you know what I, I, you know, and it's funny to me. I guess I, you, I never knew at the time some of the stuff that would get so big. It's amazing to me. Um, whether it be the barbershop, whether it be that moment, um, you know, what the ladder match, things that you have no idea at the time that are going to become these unbelievably huge and iconic moments over over the years. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I suppose that's the one thing that I think about. And thankfully, in the long run, um, it worked uh, well for me. I lived I lived a lot of my life again on this live show. Um, my, a lot of my ups, a lot of my downs, the good, the bad, the struggle, um, all of those things. I sort of, you know, I lived that openly uh, on live television. I wasn't smart enough to to hide it and hide behind a, you know, a character, so to speak. Um, because I guess I wasn't a good enough actor. I, I was. It was just better for me to do, you know, to sort of be who I was and 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 share the things that were going on, at least in some respect, uh, with the WWE audience. You know, thankfully um, for me, you know, whatever, 25, 30 years later, it all turned out okay. But I think that's one of the things that sort of separated me from from everybody else. Is uh, I think people knew that there was an honesty. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. Um, we, you know, wh- whether good, bad, or otherwise, in in Shawn Michaels, in the Heartbreak Kid, that you know that he was sharing some real life stuff that was going on with him, um, and uh, over those years, and I think that yeah, I think it meant a lot to the people. Shawn, you got this incredible legacy. I mean, great career, Mr. WrestleMania, all that great stuff. Typically regarded as the pound for pound best in ring performer to so many fans, critics alike. I'm curious though on what you think 
who may share that that line on today's game? Because, you know, we saw a very public uh, war on social media between Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega both claiming, no, I'm that guy. I think a lot of fans would say, well, hold on, guys. AJ Styles might be that guy. From your opinion, who is the best in-ring performer today? Beats me. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, I, I think about that as much as uh, now as I did when I was doing it, which is not very much. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, it. it those are those are questions that people are going to continue to ask about everything, um, you know, and, and I guess in every line of work. And that's going to be a matter of someone's opinion or the time they were watching or their generation or the guys they like. Um, quite honestly, when everything's said and done, um, I don't think anybody every, you know, what, I mean, makes that decision, right? I mean, for me, you know, Michael Jordan is going to be the greatest basketball player that ever, you know, played the game. You know, from a different generation, they're going to say Bill Russell. From this generation, they're probably going to say LeBron. Um, and I, I certainly can't say any of them are wrong. Um, so I, I don't. I, I, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm old. I'm boring. I'm 52. I see everything in the rearview mirror. Um, the fact that you get talked about, um, is, I think, is a positive thing. Now, this is a generation where people don't talk about it. The guys themselves talk about it more so than, than everybody else. And so I guess, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, it was one thing to do it for television and, and part of a character, but, uh, you know, I think the wrestling business is in great hands. I think there's a ton of talent out there now. Um, that much I will say, um, as I'm over here in the UK and I'm working with NXT, I see, uh, international talent, uh, from all over the world now, I'm being exposed now to, to so much more wrestling than I think I ever have. And I have to tell you, I, for one, think that the, you know, the wrestling business and the WWE are in great hands for the future because there is, um, I don't know who the best is, don't care. I just know that there's a lot of great talent out there, and that bodes well for, you know, for wrestling fans uh, across the world, if you ask me. Very fair answer there. Very Switzerland answer, but we'll take that, HBK. We'll take that. You mentioned working with NXT. We, we see a lot on social media. Not only are you ripped at your age. You say you're boring and old. You're ripped at this age. We could probably still see you out there today if you wanted to. But when it comes to working with the next generation in NXT, what do you most want to pass down to them? Um, believe it or not, uh, I want to I <laughs> pass on to them, uh, again, some of the stuff that you just talked about that – when everything, when everything is said and done, you know, um, it's going to be, even if they're mentioned in the conversation, take that, uh, you know, and, and, and be happy with it. Be content, uh, be, you know, have peace with that. Enjoy this job, do it, um, and enjoy it. It, it. It's hard enough as it is. You don't need to make it harder on yourself by complaining about this and that. And again, and I don't mean to, you know, make it sound bad, but like, again, everything, everything is social media now. And, and, um, my goodness, when everything's said and done and you're in your casket, you want to know how many folks from social media are going to be there? Not many. Um, (laughs) so take the important things of life, uh, you know, and, and make the most of those enjoy this job, do your best to, you know, have the opportunity to live out your dream. That's what I, that's what I want to do with these guys is, uh, you know, instilling them, um, and appreciate the opportunity they have before them. We get paid to go out there, travel the world, and uh, perform 
in front of people you know, doing what we love to do. That is a great gig. Um, so appreciate that. Work hard at it. Let the chips fall where they may. You know what I mean? Um, because ultimately it is. It's going to be between you, LeBron, Michael, Bill Russell. I mean, come on. You know, does it really matter? <laughs> I can, I can get it. I'm just saying, right? I mean, you say it's Switzerland. I just say, like, I mean, so it, it means what exactly? <laughs> you know, it, 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 when everything's said and done, okay, you're right. And I'm wrong. All right, good enough. That works for uh, me. I'll respect yeah. that. I could definitely respect that. <laughs> I like what you said where you don't know what moments when you're in them are going to become those iconic ones. The I lost my style. The barbershop window, which you mentioned, which just recently suffered it. Or, sorry, not suffered. Celebrated its own 26th anniversary. That moment seems like it's just so crossover pop culture iconic where people use it to reference things. I'm sure you didn't expect that in that moment, but I think what made it feel real to people was how real it felt. And Marty Gennetti still gives interviews today that's saying that super kick, that sweet chin music was about as real as it gets that it took. How real were some of the emotions that were put into that segment? Well, I think that, the, you know, I, I, I had the boots on and that one was a little snug. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will, I will say that every now and then it, it does, uh, get away from me and and but I gotta tell you, Marty took that like a like a champ for heaven's sakes. But it is you just and I guess that's my you know again I, sort of my point is you just never know. Um, and, and and to your point, you know it's not like we went into any of these moments thinking like this is going to be something that people will remember forever. You know, <laughs> and then they'll make shirts about it and then they'll you know they'll yeah they'll reference things. You don't. Re- you're so caught up in doing it at the time, and you're and you're so busy, and you're in the in the moment that you, you know, you always you want it to go well. You want to give your best effort, but you have absolutely no idea that it's going to be something that I don't know that people will remember you know, forever. Um, and 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 I guess that's again one of those things that you do. You try to pass on that, you know, gosh, don't be afraid to step outside the box. Go ahead and give it a whirl. Give it a try. Even if somebody's saying, oh, that's not going to work, or this is dumb, or that's stupid. Again, even if the social media crowd is saying this, you just don't know what is going to connect with with people. Um, nine times out of ten, it is something that's real. It is something that's authentic because I think, um, you know, I think fans can see that. I think they, they know the difference. And um, when everything's said and done, I, 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 I think that's probably, you know, the most important thing to be teaching is, you know, don't be afraid to put uh, a little of yourself in there. Don't be afraid to let them in a little bit because um, that's that's what they want. They want to get to know you. They want to know the person. They want to they want to feel what you're feeling. They want to, you know, go through what you're going through. But, you know, it it's a risk to do that. And and. Um, I think that's one of the things that, you know, certainly the generation that I was in that we sort of stumbled upon, you know, during all those, you know, nights and all those Mondays on Monday Night Raw because it was live. You know, it's impossible to um, get it right each and every time. And I think over the years, those live moments that were captured, good, bad, or otherwise, made a difference and, 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 and impacted and changed the wrestling business uh, you know, for all times. 
Sean, you had so many great matches where the physical was celebrated. That goes back to your reputation of being maybe the pound-for-pound best in-ring worker. You know, the Undertaker match, both of them. If anyone said that's the the best match in history, I I wouldn't argue with them. My favorite match, though, is the Ric Flair retirement match of yours, WrestleMania 24. And it's because of the storytelling and that soundbite we always hear where you say, you told Rick at the start of the match, just shut up and listen. You'll call it. You'll take it from here. You'll call it. I'm interested... (laughs) How much is the art of calling the match? How important was that to you in in putting forth the kind of classics that you did? Well, um, uh, truth be told, when it when it came to that kind of stuff, um, but yeah, I was a bit of a bit of a control freak. Um, but just from the standpoint is that again, emotionally, um, I just knew where I wanted, and certainly like that match. It was uh, that match was. Quite honestly, it was my, whatever it is you want to call it, as cheesy as it sounds, it was my sort of love letter to Ric Flair. You know, I, uh, and my way of, of, you know, trying to show him, certainly from, you know, not only, again, the friendship that we had, but also the impact that he had on, on the 15-year-old me. Um, and, and, and trying to convey that to him, uh, you know, through a wrestling match and, and knowing that I couldn't be, you know, the only guy that he had that effect on. And you, you know, you, you, you hope that the other 80,000 fans out there get that. And clearly, you know, everyone did and the millions watching at home uh, did, but you know, it, it really, it really is. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of just, making that decision as a, you know, as a performer to say, look, this is something I want to do. Um, please let me do it. And, but we've got to, you know, I, I know, I know the feeling, I know the emotion, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it's not because you don't want them not to do anything or to mess it up, it, but because it's, it's your feeling and it's your emotion. So you've got to be the one to, you know, to sort of be the one that's driving that, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, and so that's, that's why I was sort of so adamant, uh, you know, about that. And, and, you know, honestly, most of my matches were like that. I, I, as I've always told people, I probably wrestled way too much from my heart than from my head. Um, but I think honestly, for me, that's what made the difference over the years, um, um, in those matches was me sort of doing it more from a, you know, again, the 15 year old, uh, wrestling fan in me. Hey, it worked, Sean. It worked. And you talk about wrestling on emotions. I just, I just went on a bender of watching the Midnight Rockers and that feud with Buddy Rose and Doug Summers from the AWA days. The bloodbaths, the the heart, the coming up from fighting from underneath. I mean, that's wrestling with emotion. That was great stuff. That that was my introduction to you, and that's what really made me a fan for life. Well, thank, and that's the thing, you know. And I got to tell you, that's one of the first places I learned it. I mean, Buddy was great at that. Um, and, and and sort of conveying that, and it really was. I mean, I think about that. My goodness, what an unbelievable opportunity! I mean, I think I think Marty and I had probably been wrestling for maybe two years at that time, and to have the opportunity to get in there with those guys night after night, um, you know, so seasoned and knew what they were doing. Uh, that's you know, again, that's like getting a PhD at, at uh, you know at twenty one. <laughs> for heaven's sake, that's just uh, you know, and and it was. I think that's one of the first places 
um, you know, and Buddy Rose, one of the first guys that really ever sort of, you know, taught us uh, in a way that was maybe not uh, what I would say was so, you know, the, the so traditional old school way. Um, and he's, you know, he was, he was a big part, you know, of certainly of my growth. And I think Marty would probably say the same thing. Sean, the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw, it's January 22nd, 8-7 Central on the USA Network, emanating from the Barclays Center and the Manhattan Center. We look forward to seeing you get, get the band back together and see what kind of you know, great reunion we can, we can have. Thanks so much for joining us, Sean, and best of luck in the future. You bet. Thank you so much. Whoa, Adam, i got to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little swim in Mark Milk here. I got into that with, with HBK. I, I mean, he dug deep into history for us. He, did he dodge some of the hard ones? Maybe. Well, let me throw it on you. You, you like how he how he definitely sidestepped a few of those, or were, were you you wanting more? I mean, I was wanting more from some of the answers, particularly who's the best worker today. I think he, more than anyone, is able to answer that question because he was the best worker for maybe a decade, you know, when, when he was going strong. So I, I really did want an answer there. What some of you need to realize when you listen to these interviews is not only is the Mark Milk always flowing from BC, but we have limited time with these guys. We don't have an hour to sit with HBK and kind of go through every single step of his career. Now, hopefully one day we do, but in this particular interview, we don't. So BC, some of those questions, really, really solid. I loved, just like with Samoa Joe on Monday, I loved how he, the last question, how he ended that interview, explaining that that match was his love letter to Ric Flair. I would love to hear Ric Flair's side of that coin, and hopefully we'll get the opportunity I'm going to try an effort for us to get Ric Flair on the show so we can kind of juxtapose those two thought, thoughts on that match head-to-head. But, man, that was awesome, and that was a feel-spot moment for me, listening to him kind of describe that match. I know, and for him to tell about how stiffly he put that kick on the Marty Jannetty's shoulder, and it was just the 26th anniversary of the barbershop. I'm sure a lot of people saw the, you know, re- revisited it on Twitter when they saw the memes. And I just recently read a Jannetty interview from last year where he said, and HBK didn't bite on this really, but that, that Sean w- was kind of pissed off and sick of him at that point, and that he kind of laid that in extra to sort of hammer that home. Yeah, now, Jannetty yeah. also kind of claims that that was real glass, that there were two versions of sugar glass in the back and that they were hoping to nail it in the first take and there was another third version of actual glass in case they needed it and that somebody accidentally put the actual glass in and he could have impaled his neck and died the way he felt i rewatched it that's not real glass i'm sorry marty let's be really honest here all right guy <laughs> it's not real glass bc hbk is nick's number one all-time wrestler so he's easily in his top five i'm pretty sure he's my number one all-time wrestler as well obviously in my top five is he in your top five all-time Oh, yeah, yeah, no question about it. I don't have the exact same love that I do for Savage, Steamboat, Hogan because I was a little bit younger when I connected with those guys. And even though I was certainly watching Michaels in AWA, I mean, he had a great answer to that first bloody feud he had there for the title there with the Midnight Rockers. But I didn't connect on an emotional level as much as I did just respecting the performance. So I'd say he's, he's easily in there in my top five, no question. You know, it's interesting. One of the things people love about Randy Savage is how he needed to step by step call matches and have things go exactly his way. And I've never really heard Shawn Michaels describe himself in that way until this interview. And I think that's a very interesting parallel. And I would love it if we get an opportunity to interview him again to find out more about some big matches in his career. And, you know, maybe the Ironman match against, uh, you know, Bret Hart and really what his role was 
in calling the matches, setting them up, and how detail-oriented he was, especially for certain spots. Oh, yeah. His career. I loved it. Well, let's get Pat Patterson on. Let's have a conference call. Let's, let's really make this happen. And, and by the way, when he lost his smile, he didn't want to drop the belt to Brett. He didn't want to say it, but it's, it, you know, it is what it is. History will be what it will be. Adam, this spins us right off, though, into that Raw 25 show. It is next Monday. It's the go-home ahead of Royal Rumble. But really... Uh, WWE has a track record of delivering on these big time shows on these 1000th episode or any type of raw anniversary. And this is, you know, really the biggest one they've ever had. I gotta be honest, they've the names that they are telling us that are going to be there are exactly what you want, but I'm still confused at what this will look like, what this broadcast will be considering there's two different locations at once, the Manhattan center, the Barclays center in Brooklyn. That was really what prevented me from wanting to be at either one, because I want to see the full, you know, the full thing, but you got to assume there's going to be things going on in either arena that the TV audience won't see. How, how do you think they're going to juggle this? Because I don't even want you to ask me that because I'm really not sure at all. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to have most of the old school stuff, at least the oldest school stuff, go down in the Manhattan Center with JR and Jerry the King Lawler on the, on announcing. I think they're probably going to do, what, 60 to 90 minutes of Raw from there, maybe primarily. Um, maybe they'll go back and forth. I was kind of thinking it would be back and forth the entire time. I don't know what the distance is from the arenas, uh, you know, from one another in New York, not in was, New York traffic, not close enough not, to not uh, possible. Yeah. So I was thinking like maybe someone starts the show and then maybe three hours later to end raw winds up, you know, in, in Barclays Center. Oh, that's but, possible. Yeah, that's possible. There's but just... I think that's but I think that's what they're going to try to do is keep some of the old school stuff together, separate it out. I think they definitely set the revival up to like get stunned by Steve Austin or take a table shot from the Dudleys. There's no question about that in my mind. Before you go on to your part, I want to read this list really quick. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Steve Austin, Undertaker, DX, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, Dudleys, Ric Flair, Hall and Nash, Bischoff, the New Age Outlaws, Chris Jericho, which I know you want to talk about, JBL, Ron Simmons, The Godfather, Brother Love, The Boogeyman, Teddy Long, Million Dollar Man, John Laurinaitis, Sergeant Slaughter, Bella Twins, Jackie, Terry Runnels, Tori Wilson, Maria Kanellis, Michelle McCool, and Kelly Kelly. Is there anyone missing, notably missing besides The Rock, from that list I just read? Uh, yeah, Hulk Hogan, who says on Twitter and says in interviews when, when he was reached out to that he's not booked. Uh, that's the sore thumb for me, without a question. Obviously, you know why he's not booked. But it is worth wondering if this is the big reveal for them. If this is – but I say no because, look, this is a mania reveal. This has always been a mania reveal. I thought it was going to happen last year. You know, it didn't. I sort of guaranteed I thought it was going to happen last year being in Orlando too, and it didn't. Whenever they decide to do that – and you can argue amongst yourselves whether you think Hogan is deserving of that, but it's going to happen – this is not the time to do that. So I don't think he's there. But who else is missing on there? I don't think there's anybody else that even jumps out who I'm like, that's so, a fail. He needs to be there. So for me, there's two. One's Bret Hart, whose name I did not read. And the other is Sable. Because yes. he literally are paying right now Sable's husband as part of WWE. Michelle McCool is going to be there with The Undertaker. Brock Lesnar can't get Rena. Over there? like Well, she, maybe she'll be at the Rumble. May, I mean, seriously, maybe maybe she will be a big reveal in the Rumble for all we know. Maybe. I mean, that would be cool. I just, she should be. She's like 50, some, though, right? What would you Isn't say? Isn't she like 50 at this point? I mean, she's older, sure. But I'm not saying she needs to go, you know, 36 double D special size with the handprints. But oh, I'm saying, come, what, on, come on. <laughs> I, I paused just for that. I'm not saying she needs to do that, but I think her showing up, whether alongside Brock or not, would be really cool and would get a massive pop. I mean, she's WWE's. Biggest women star ever. Uh, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Three, covers, three covers of Playboy. Fans went absolutely crazy for her. Not for her in-ring ability, but when she was in the ring. That's true. I mean, there's Sonny, there's Trish Stratus, there's Lundra Blaze. There's names China. out there. But Sable was the number one WWE Women's Star of all time. Yeah, you can't argue with that. So I hope we get that. So the names are, are impressive. Like, really, they're gratuitous, to be really honest with you. And this is what confuses me about this broadcast. It's going to be three hours. We assume we're going to get some type of mix between old and new in, in some seg segments. You created a great thing where the Revival could end up going through a table. That would be great. Uh, I know this Miz Roman Reigns match is probably going to be awesome and going to trigger some things on the storytelling into Rumble. But this is kind of what makes it so why there's so many question marks for me. You still have to finish off telling some stories on the go home to Rumble. And if you're going to have this many names, you really need to use them creatively. Now, maybe there's going to be a spot in the ring where they all come out and get announced and have their two seconds. But you would like, Adam, if there were actual backstage humorous segments that rehash former beefs and you use some of these together, you would also like for the guys that can still go, maybe get a couple old guy matches. I mean, that that's the thing, but do you have that time in three hours? Should this be its own WWE Network two-hour special adjacent to the to Raw? So there was a tweet that was actually it was an incorrect tweet, and WWE confirmed with me that it was, that someone reported this was going to be a five-hour show. And you know what? I wish it was. Because while that seems crazy... And we have six-hour pay-per-views, and you know, and, and that's a lot, and and we get really testy. I think I think what WrestleMania was seven hours this past year, <laughs> but a five-hour RAW. If you put the first and last hour on the network, or the first two hours, or however you want to do it, it really would have worked and given us the opportunity for all these people to actually be showcased on the show. The biggest problem is there's almost just like you kind of said, there's too many names, so you're gonna have one ring spot where there's like. 20 of them all giving finishing moves probably to the revival at once and punishing someone. I think they did that with Heath Slater uh, a while back, like three or four years ago or on, on, on like an old school raw yes, where like yes. a bunch of guys all beat them up. So we're going to get that spot and that will be an appearance for most of the people. But for everyone else, I wish they had segments. I wish they called back old storylines because there's enough people here where that that's actually possible. Well, you know so, what I wish they did? I wish they didn't announce Chris Jericho in the manner that they did because for right now look, the biggest names that are coming back are Taker, Flair, you know, Michaels, yeah. whoever you want to say is the biggest name coming back. But Jericho's the hottest name coming back. And Adam, they didn't even announce it. They played a mid-commercial commercial like during Raw that said his name. It wasn't a formal announcement. When you have that many names coming back already, that's this is already sold in advance, right? Tickets, viewership. This is going to be the biggest, maybe their best episode of the year. It'll probably get the biggest ratings of any Raw for the year. So Adam, that's already in stone. Why would you not hold Jericho and reveal him as a surprise that night, which would have torn apart Twitter, especially if you do it in a creative way? Because this is obviously a great decision for both sides. For WWE to say, we, we're going to pull you right back after NJPW, which gets people like you going, like you did on Twitter to me, you know, good luck on your revolution. And obviously, you know, me going, hold on. He didn't, this doesn't mean he signed a deal. He's just a legend, but it gets that conversation going. It, you know, it, it teases you. We don't know what's going to happen next for Jericho and Jericho loves to be in that spot. Why the heck did they reveal that ahead of time? Could you imagine the creative ways that they could do this? Have him in the crowd and have him like, you know, run in or something like, come on. No, you're right. You're right. For it to have been a surprise would have been, way way better but because they announced it i love the way they announced it they just threw him in as like 
the eighth name on a commercial. That is really Vince McMahon. Like, Vince well, is that Vince humbling him? Is that Vince saying? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's Vince ribbing him to to a certain degree. Then, yeah, ribbing him, humbling him, kind of saying, "Hey, I know you think you're really important and everything, and you are, but you also are part of a history here in WWE, and you don't necessarily stand out on your own." Where as much as you might think. You All right. Did. OK, I respect that. But I obviously you miss that spot in the ring where you're like, man, everybody, you know, you have all the legends in there and somebody's like, man, everybody showed up. And if someone's like, well, everybody but a few. And then you sort of make the tease that it could be punk coming through that door. You make the tease yeah. that it could be Hogan. But no, it's Jericho. And that would have worked. It would have worked well, spectacularly. But I hope they do with Jericho. And this is I, we have a bonus DM slide that we'll get to in a minute. And it kind of fits into this. Um, what I hope they do with Jericho is someone's in the ring, like Roman Reigns cutting a promo. Jericho interrupts like his debut, Welcome to Raw is Jericho. If they don't use him that way, it's probably just going to be a disappointment for me. But BC, let's move on to this bonus DM slide from Max B at You Can't See Me 4214. With the 25th anniversary of Raw coming up, BC, what is your most memorable Raw moment? And which five-year period has been your favorite overall? Let's really stick with that first one, though. What's your favorite Raw moment? The one that's most memorable to me and is it's kind of two in one. And I watched them both recently. One I stumbled into on YouTube. Another I, I sought out. It's really the, the Austin beer truck and the Kurt Angle milk truck. Or like if you're going to ask me when I look back at my history of watching Raw, what's the instant most iconic moment? Those stand out. Obviously, those were big, amazing, hilarious, fun moments that really stick out. But I'm going to say something back at you that could be controversial, that I still think the best segment, my favorite moment on Raw ever, my favorite segment, is, yes, the Festival of Friendship from last year. I had to kind of like look at the Raw Top 25 countdown that WWE did with Peter Rosenberg and Corey Graves, which is, which is a really uh, fun episode to watch. And I think looking back on that, yeah, there's certainly moments that were bigger, more iconic, that involved Tyson and Austin and Vince and all that. There's no nothing better than that segment. I actually think it's better than the Rock. This is your life because I think it took it to a next level. It was more polished. It was shorter. It was perfect. Perfect. I think that's a top one or two raw moment ever. In my personal countdown. Head to head, Rock. This is your life is better than Festival of Friendship. No way. It, it's almost impossible to convince me otherwise because what you basically had was the Rock with a live mic for 45 minutes, ripping on a ton of unsuspecting people and Mick Foley, and versus Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho. Which look, we like both of them, but I think there's a lot of recency bias there. Uh, but it was polish. It's way more polish. Maybe it was because of the polish. And it's and normally I I like the freestyle over the polish in wrestling, but that segment is perfection. It's perfectly polished. It's so. Brilliant. I have a couple moments here that I want to... Uh, I'll give you my two runners-up, or my three runners-up, actually. First runner-up, Razor Ramon, 1-2-3-Kid. They showed it on that special. When 1-2-3-Kid got that upset very early in the existence of Monday Night Raw with that moonsault, I mean, I was very, very young. I liked him because he was young also. Massive pop for me that moment. Chris Jericho's introduction, Welcome to Raw is Jericho, interrupting The Rock and that back and forth, that was up there for me. I was recently at Monday Night Raw with Handsome Nick in Miami, and I don't know if you will remember it, but The Rock showed up. It was after a pay-per-view. I forget which one. The Rock showed up and cut a promo on a on like a bunch of guys in the audience. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, completely off the cuff. Hulk Hogan and – there was a Hulk Hogan lookalike, right? A Randy yeah, Savage yeah. lookalike? Yep, exactly. Cut a promo on them, did a bunch of stuff, just didn't stop, kept going back to him, and his entire segment in the ring that night. Just from being there, it was so damn cool to see that crowd pop for The Rock. That's a personal Raw moment. The number one Raw moment for me of all time. Tyson and Austin. 
Tyson and Austin. Tyson and Austin. It was massive, massive crossover appeal. You had you thought they might actually fight because even though you know wrestling's fake, that seemed a little oh, yeah. shoot-ish. When Austin gave him the fingers and Mike Tyson got pissed off, you have Vince McMahon and Shane, a young Shane, trying to get in between them. That moment was electric. I'm and that moment getting- got robbed. And that top 25 countdown WWE put out, it was like moment like number 24. Like that was that was a joke. Like that moment got completely robbed. Uh, you got any more on your list, Silver Key? You want to count down the top 50? Hold one, Andre. Hold two, Armbar. <laughs> yeah, I could keep going on with that. No, that's great. And, of course, the five-year period. I mean, you, you have to say the attitude. Area. There's no other answer. You can't justify any other answer. It's it's the yeah. it's 96 to 2001. It's the attitude area, right? Like it's that's it. Nope. I mean, that's definitely the five year period. All right, it's time to slide, Adam. Slide in to them DMs. We know it. We love it. It's for the people, by the people, and you know how to send in your questions. Hit us up on Twitter at bcampbellcbs at Silverstein Adam. Hey, at the Costos. Let's let's keep that guy involved right there. But it's time to dig down deep. All right, BC, first up from Ronale Wilson at Ron Will. That's 1L96. He wants to know, BC, who do you see Triple H matching up with at WrestleMania this year? It's kind of twofold. It's like, who do I see and who I want to see? And maybe trifold, who I don't want to see. Adam, I in Ronale, I am done seeing Triple H against fellow legends. Uh, Batista coming back potentially doesn't interest me. Kurt Angle, Triple H doesn't interest me. Here's the scenario that I want to see for Triple H. I want him to be still get his interest at WrestleMania, still physically be involved, but I want him to be in the corner of Jason Jordan, a heel Jason Jordan, as the authority. It's not that I think Triple H is done in Mania. I just don't think there's a natural storyline that you can turn around in two months. He doesn't have a lingering beef with any top superstar. If you wanted to do the poor man's Daniel Bryan build with Finn Balor being over or not, maybe that would have worked, but that's not the direction. One little bonus comment, though. I want to see Triple H in an NXT TakeOver match before all is said and done. Maybe at like a Mania Weekend type one. I think there's a great story they can eventually tell. I don't know the superstar who it'll be with, but that whole idea of Triple H, you're our idol, you're the the father of this, but I want to take you out. I think I'm better than you type of thing. That might be the best thing one day to really legitimize and stamp on that brand. That's a really smart take. I would like to see him in a Mr. McMahon-esque role. With NXT. I think he can do that. I think there is a story to tell there. Probably not with this crop, but maybe in two or three years when there's enough legacy and juice behind NXT for them to do something like that. Um, the answer, Ronell, is no one, really. I don't want to see him fighting at WrestleMania this year. Let's at least take a break. It's not that he can't do it, but every year we know we're going to get The Undertaker, we're going to get Triple H. Hey, John Cena will have a single. Enough. Like, Triple H, take a break. <laughs> if he does have to fight someone this year, there's one person on the Raw roster who does not have a set opponent who I think could benefit from getting over Triple H, and that would be Braun Strowman. That, oh, well, you know, it looked like we were going there just a few months ago. So that's that, that's not awful. That's not awful. You know what I'm saying? And Thanks for sorry nobody was speaking of that yeah i think that's not a bad idea yeah thanks for not calling it awful i mean I, I didn't even really think about it being the end of survivor series but i think they could call that back i don't see any reason they couldn't you know what they should call it back just to repair the end of survivor series because they never did and it's still awful all right that's true it's only three months later all right next up from omar al rashid getting a little bit more shine here on the itc podcast he wants to know bc what are the remaining dream matches 
legitimate dream matches that WWE could realistically make. So Omar's our guy. Shout out to him. And he's fired up, by the way, over DM. He told me that uh, NJPW is coming to Australia in the next month. He'll be there in Melbourne. But that's a side topic. Uh, you know what Chris Jericho said, Adam, when talking about why Jericho Omega, um, Jericho Omega is such a big deal it, it, because of the timing. Jericho, the smartest thing he said about why that match got over so big in 2018 was because WWE wasted the dream matches in 2017 and they wasted them in September at no mercy on the same night, which were the two biggest you could make Lesnar Strowman, which he's really damn right because that could be a main event at WrestleMania really, or a secondary one. And obviously Cena reigns. I still don't know for sure why they did that, but they did. And it kind of stunk. And really Lesnar styles is a third dream match that they ran out maybe too quickly than they needed to. So what are the remaining ones? I still think the reboot, of Rock and Brock is giant and would move giant business. I know we saw it earlier in Brock's initial two-year run, and I know it's really going to be really hard to get movie star Dwayne Johnson into a legitimate program again. That's the only one left that, to me that's still a dream match, Adam, because they've given us a little taste, even AJ Finn, of things already that maybe we shouldn't have had that taste. Yeah, I was going to mention AJ Finn. I thought you actually forgot about it. Um I think there's still Cena Samoa Joe, which is a legitimate dream match. That's no, out there. but that okay. I gotta stop you there. That's not a dream match. That's a match that would be really good. Those are two different categories. There are matches that would be really good, and then there yeah. are dream matches. I don't no, think that's a that dream like, match. People that like people that really like TNA, and there's a good portion of the WWE universe that did watch TNA when Samoa Joe was on top of TNA. It wasn't crap, you know, like it is now at that point. I mean, in my opinion, it was never good at all. But there are people that are really massive Samoa Joe fans. And if they built that right, it's a dream match and they could book it that way. There's also the rock Roman reigns, which I really want to see family versus family. Oh, that's good. That's good. And yeah. There's so many different angles that you can play off of that. There's some others um, like, but like you said, they've really run the gamut of dream matches this year. But I mean, in a short John time, Cena, John Cena, Shinsuke Nakamura, they did um, for a number one contendership. They really did. Now, I don't think that means that all of a sudden these are now off limits and they can't be built as dream matches. Every single one that you listed, including the one the one that I just did, they can book those as dream matches as main events at pay-per-views. They can still do it. They have to, There has to be some time separation, and they can kind of say they've only fought one time ever on SmackDown, but now in the main event of SummerSlam, like, you can still build them yeah, up that the story. Way. So the story can. Yeah, the story can fix that. But again, I think you and look, maybe that maybe the simple answer is just that it was a ratings grab. People aren't going to remember it as much as, as I angrily remember it now. And my anger, again, isn't because it stunk. It's just it just felt rushed and early. That, that's the bottom line. That's fair. Number three here on the DM slides from Matt Lamanen or Lamanen, one of the two. Betting odds for Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble are currently at nine to one BC. I believe that's on Patty Power. He didn't give a source here, but I believe that's what it's from. Do you read into these odds makers and do they know something the general public may not be privy to? Love the show. Listen to it on my, I guess, commute way to work. I don't know what he said. Teaching like, prep hour is where Matt's going there. So. Oh, okay. I don't have I didn't have the last few words there. What do you think, BC? Do, do the Ozmakers know something here about Daniel Bryan and the Royal Rumble? I see they always know something. And that's why you say, do you read into these odds? I try not to ever read into WWE odds because last year's Royal Rumble. Do you know what happened on Friday? 
Randy Orton odds shifted huge and he became the betting favorite and then he won the Royal Rumble. At a time, let's be honest, I know he was already in a feud with Bray Wyatt, but I don't think any of us legitimately had Randy Orton winning the Rumble as like a top five scenario or certainly not a scenario we wanted. I try to stay away from those because somebody always knows something and somebody's always going to leak something, maybe so they can win money and that that's fine, which really puts into question ever betting on scripted s- scenarios. But Man, these Daniel Bryan odds shifting this dramatically, you know, not the day after a st- a, a turn, like, you know, in the storyline. Like, if this happened three weeks ago, when it looked like Daniel Bryan might be coming back, when that storyline was kind of hot with, with Shane and all that, it would have been more understandable. Or maybe after an interview he would give publicly. It's sort of coming at a different time, which is a little bit sketchy and leads you to believe there's something to it. Adam, these are one of those rare times. I know we live in a society as pro wrestling journalists where you can't avoid dirt sheets, right? You can't just go, I don't want to hear the ending of Star Wars before it happens, so I'm going to put my fingers in my ears, but I'm going to avoid pro wrestling betting odds for this exact reason. I don't want to know. I don't want to care. I don't want to talk about it. So I generally avoid the odds for this exact reason. From what I understand with pro wrestling betting odds, they're set based on general expectations for matches without, I guess, much knowledge outside of storylines from the actual odds makers. And then what happens as you get close to the pay-per-views is you see these drastic shifts and these major changes. And generally that is because of a single bet. Someone comes in who has knowledge or knows someone in creative or whatever the case might be, drops 50 grand on someone winning, you know, X. And all of a sudden the odds have to shift because now they need to make money on the other end to offset what is now going to be a major loss for them, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from those bets. This to me, it's too early. At the time, we're still two weeks out from the Royal Rumble. Generally, if you see a shift like this, it's the days leading up to it after the go-home Raw, maybe close to the show, 24, 48 hours ahead of time when that booking decision is actually made. I don't necessarily know if they know who's going to win the Royal Rumble. I mean, I would assume they do. But Randy Orton last year, from what I understand, was not a last-minute change, but it did change you know, relatively close to the show. So I'm not going to read too much into this particular one, but I will say, if the entire build of this is for Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble and they tell that story in some way, I'm all in for it. It just doesn't seem that's going to be the case when you had no development with his storyline over the last two weeks. And there's really no good reason yeah. for, to enter the Royal Rumble in the first place. And I, w- I attended the ro- and covered the Royal Rumble last year and was backstage uh, afterwards and talked to members of WWE staff about those Orton's odd shifts and to sort of defend the odd shift they said that Orton wasn't decided and that it was changed three times over the final three days. So take that for what you will, you know, independent source at that point. But uh, very interesting altogether. Uh, yeah, too early, too early. That's that's the bottom line. But, Adam, we roll out of here, as we always do, by putting our hands directly into that field spot. The moment this week that got us to pop, that got us fired up. And for me, it was the revival on Raw. We had a DM question last week. Where have they been? Well, they're back this week. They had a squash mess victory. So, so squash-tastic that we didn't even get to find out the names of the opponents that they destroyed. But it was that in-ring interview afterwards that got me going. Those are the reasons that this business, our business, has become a mockery. See, we, we're not sports entertainers. We are professional wrestlers. Exactly. And look, hey, we're not a creation of the WWE boardroom. We're as real as it gets. 
And look, they know it. They know it. And they, they don't want, they don't want us to, to, to succeed here, okay? Because if they try to change who we are, we ain't going to let it happen. They will not change who we are. Next I popped for the old school, you know, just, just stubbornness there of Dash and Wilder. And, you know, that's probably a, a whole storyline there. I mean, I don't think they got on a hot mic and said sports entertainment, you know, pro wrestling's better without getting approval. So even though there was a follow-up tweet from them that sort of said they're already under Vince's skin, I'm not sure if I can believe that. But, Adam, even, it may feel like you said earlier this is setting them up to go through a table next week against a legend, and then it could be the case because, of you know, what they referenced. But they're also endearing themselves to legends like Steve Austin, who hates the term sports entertainment. So I'm not really sure that's going to happen. But, man, this is one of the things that we angrily talk about as fans. So to have somebody on the screen conveying that was fantastic. Is it fair to say the content of that promo was better than the actual delivery? Because I found myself watching that and watching their match as well and saying, this is a really good NXT tag team. Ooh, ooh, I, I, I see that. I get that. I just think that they're presented in such a simple, raw, tough way that it does work for me on the main roster. Their size notwithstanding. They are a little bit small. So maybe that's the NXT holdup. But I think they're fine in their delivery of the Raw because their delivery is not flashy. It, it fits their gimmick. No no uh, flips, just fists, right? I mean, and I've, I've interviewed them before. And man, like, uh, so one time I interviewed them and it felt like they were giving me in character, which you hate when you're when you're doing that. It felt like I was getting kayfabe. And then after talking to them afterwards, I realized I wasn't. These are two angry dudes who want to get to the top and want to act and live like they're real professional wrestlers. And they sat there and catering afterwards angry. So it was sort of like, I believe in these guys. I believe what they're putting forth. I wouldn't be shocked if we see them over in SmackDown after whatever, if there's another superstar shakeup or a draft. I think that is where they would fit a lot better, their characters and their ability as a tag team. BC, my feel spot this week. It's also tag team wrestling, a little bit different. I told this ITC crowd of ours that when Titus Worldwide first started about a year ago, I was bought in. And I love Titus and the role he was in. I hoped that they were going to, again, expand and be a real faction with more than three people. What do we have? A three-person group again <laughs> with these guys. But they just got two clean wins in consecutive Raws over the bar. I like their celebration. I think Dana Brooke adds something really unique to this team, even though her role is kind of stupid and doesn't make any sense being a statistician. Like, what is she adding up? Like, she's not even an accountant. She's a statistician. <laughs> well, it's a callback to Terry Runnels in the in WCW, right? Okay, fair enough. Um, I like her in the role. I like the way they are now celebrating together. There's some personality. I want them to develop them as a tag team and as a faction that Titus is leading. There's plenty of people that you can put under this Titus Worldwide umbrella, give them a couple titles, etc. But it was a feel spot for me this week, seeing them win consecutively. I thought it was going to be 50-50 booking, and the bar was going over. They got the win. Apollo Crews popped. He's showing some life. And I'm like, you know what? I'm into Titus Worldwide. Worldwide? Let's give it to him. Well, Come you're on. in because he played football at Florida. But I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. And the whole point is you can have factions, by the way, on the mid card, and they don't have to be comedic jobber factions like the Miz Taraj, although they support the Miz, and like, uh, what was that job? The Social Outcast, right? Like, they can actually be a faction. They have to win all the time, but they don't have to be presented as sloppy jobbers. Between men and women, how many three-person factions are there now? There's like eight, right? There has to be. Well, it's probably in direct response to how angry I was that there was only one faction in the, in the whole main roster like four weeks ago when it was the New Day. But, yeah, now now we are uh, we are a little overrun with, with three. I mean, is it is it better than what WCW turned into? You can – I mean, I, 
look at NJPW. They seem to thrive with some pretty big but strong, but you know, right. badass not, factions. And it's my fault for calling them factions. I should have said groups, which is obviously what I what I meant. Um, but they they have multiple. They have five, six, seven, eight people, right? And when WWE was in its heyday, and I mentioned this on last week's show, uh, actually on Monday's show, I think it was, DX, what, five people, right? Uh, what was it? What was the um, Nation of Domination had a ton of people. Los Bariquas had a ton of people. Like, these were, the oddities. They, they, weren't, they weren't all great factions, right? They weren't all great, but they worked because when you have numbers like that, there's actual intimidation and you can get things that you otherwise wouldn't. And if WWE just wasn't, so stuck in these three-person groups, I think they could really have something here, but alas, that's not the case. Well, Adam, we are bringing it back. We talked about it last week. Oh, yeah. The pay-per-view rewind portion of the show ahead of next week's show. Our own go-home Royal Rumble preview, and your DMs came sliding in. You hit us up hard on, on Twitter. There were picks for Royal Rumbles to be reviewed all over the map, but one that got a ton of votes, and one that ended up hooking me is the one we're going with. The 2015 Royal Rumble match from Philadelphia, and if any of you out there going, oh, really, that one? Look, this really lines up when you consider that was from Philly. Roman Reigns got booed out of the building. But it's going to be interesting to go back and relive it three years ago to compare to where we will be in just over a week when they return to Philly. And you can argue for yourself how changed Roman Reigns' reception is. Very interesting. Go back, relive that match. We will relive it with you next week. When was the last time you've seen that match, Adam? Uh, 2015. I'll say that I support this because of the callback and because it's in Philadelphia and and for all the circumstances you just laid out. But I really wanted to see 97 or 98, and I might still watch them personally on my own. I don't know if I have three extra hours this week, but uh, I will definitely get into 2015 and make sure you all watch it uh, at In This Corner CBS. If you have any comments while you're watching it, things you want us to touch on about the pay-per-view, be sure to hit us up. Um, it'll be exciting. I'm glad Pay-Per-View Rewind is back. And we got some love for 2008 and Cena at MSG, and that's a great one. But no love for 2011 in Boston with 40 men. I thought that was, you know, I look back on that fondly. But anyway, we have to get out of, we have to leave this place, Adam. Thank you so much to our guest, Sean Michaels, ahead of Raw 25. And, you know, we always like to leave you with this. Goodbye, and good night, We out. <laughs>